Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that indeed you are good all the time. And Lord, today as, as we come together and read your word and hear your word, help us to respond to your word in faith. Lord, we're going to hear a story today. We're going to read a story today that, that happened, a, a story where you met a paralytic man and you ministered to him. And Lord, perhaps even today, you want us to gather close to you, to respond in faith to you. Lord, even today, there may be an opportunity uh, for healing. And so we would ask for that and that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy name we pray. Amen. In just a few moments, we're going to walk through Mark chapter 2 together. We're going to mark, walk through Mark chapter 2 and identify uh, a few things about healing from that passage. And then we're going to move over to James chapter 5, and we're going to look to see how God is at work with respect to healing in the church even today. And with that in mind, I, I wanted to share a story with you. It's a story perhaps you've heard before, or if you went to Resolving Everyday Conflict seminar, you perhaps heard it there. <clears throat> About a dozen years ago now, a man in his early 30s showed up to church and at the end of the service came forward. He sat in the front row and asked me to gather the elders. He said that he had read James 5 and he would like for the elders to anoint him with oil and pray for him because he's sick. When I asked him what he was sick, uh, why he was sick, what was going on, he said that he had stage four cancer. He also had a family. And in his discussion, in that moment, he began to tell us that it was, uh, his concern was for his family and what would happen to them after he passed. He was very concerned, as you can imagine. But he had asked the elders to pray for him, to anoint with oil and pray for him, just as James 5 suggested. I started, and but I said, before we pray, I have to tell you something. I've never seen God heal anybody of stage four cancer. I lack faith right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing to the Lord, and I'm apologizing to you, but I want you to know, right now, in this moment, I'm lacking faith. And the elders began to share a similar story, that they were lacking faith. And indeed, the guy who came forward for prayer said, I'm doing this to be obedient, but I too am lacking faith. It's probably not what you want to hear for your from your pastor whenever you ask for prayer, but it was honest and it was true. And it was confessing some sin, which is also what James 5 tells us to do. So we did that. And I want to tell you that when we got together and we began to pray, they were pathetic. They were. They were pathetic prayers. They were prayers like this. God, uh, would you heal this man? And, and Lord, but if you don't, would you? There were a lot of but if you don'ts in that prayer. Not just from me, but from everybody standing there. And I'm going to tell you the rest at the end. Don't let me forget. 
We're in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. As you're turning there, again, I, it's my hope that we can walk through these passages together. We're going to see how God, how Jesus specifically in Mark addresses healing and then how he gives provision for healing in the church. Uh, so, if you're not there, again, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. We're going to go through 12. I want you to be reminded that Jesus is just coming off of a very busy season. He walks into the house in the previous chapter. He walks into the house of Simon and Andrew and heals Simon's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, she, in response to Jesus, jumps up from her sickbed and serves uh, the guests that she had. A group of people start to come in. They are overwhelming, and Jesus heals some of them. Not all of them. It is apparent from the passage that perhaps some of them have come uh, with not the best motives. Not everyone is healed. And then Jesus spends some time with the Father and just re-engages with uh, the mission that the Father has called him to, and he continues uh, in this healing ministry, and he goes away and comes back. And this is where we pick it up in Mark chapter 2. He's went away, and now he's come back. And here we go. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Apparently, people had heard what had happened and what had been going on with Jesus throughout the area, and they came to take a look. What's going on? We want to see what is happening here. And look at Jesus' response. And he was preaching the word to them. It's an interesting thing, that phrase, preaching the word. It, it, it starts with the, the word preaching here. It's not a typical word for preaching. In fact, the root of the word is the word ladio, or lalio, and it is an automatopoeia. Uh, an automatopoeia, if you're probably familiar with it, it's like the sound of something, you know, like... Um, like a baby would say, la, 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 la. <laughs> that, that would be lalio, this word that is used, the root of the word that is used here. Now, it's more than that in Greek, though. In English, that's how we think. That's what it is. But in, in Greek, it's, it's, it's more poetic than that. And in fact, the way that it's used is to break the silence, it's interesting, the mission of Mark is to communicate who Jesus is, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Up to this point, God has been silent to the nation of Israel. They have gone through a series of, of God being quiet, and here, uniquely, God speaks. He breaks the, si the silence. In a poetic sort of way, Jesus speaks, and it speaks to his mission, as we see in the next phrase with the, the word, word. He's preaching the word. He's breaking the silence very purposefully, and in a poetic way, he is preaching the word. The word here, uh, logos, you're probably familiar with it. It is uh, a word that it would, would be associated with like intellectual reasoning. So Jesus is speaking in such a way that it, it makes sense. But we also know from the context of 
Mark chapter 1, that Jesus has come to proclaim the gospel. Jesus is preaching the gospel. What is that? Well, the gospel is good news. That's, that's what it means. But it's only good news because there is bad news. And the bad news is this. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us. And not just that, but there was also this bad news, this heaviness on the first century uh, people in ancient Israel where they're feeling the weight and the burden of the law. Now, if I just do these things right, maybe I can please God. If I would just do these things the way that God has told me, or at least the way that this rabbi has told me, or maybe the Pharisees have told me, or maybe the way that the Sadducees have told me, then, then maybe I can somehow please God. And this weight, as we're referring to it, is called a yoke. This yoke that was put on them was a yoke of burden. Things like, and I've explained this before, I'll explain it again, things like honor the Sabbath. Well, how do you honor the Sabbath? Well, you don't work on the Sabbath. How do I not work on the Sabbath? According to at least some rabbis in ancient Israel, well, you don't plow on the Sabbath. Okay, I won't plow on the Sabbath. But wait, what does it mean to plow on the Sabbath? Well, if you spit on the ground and your sandal drags through that spittle, you are now guilty of plowing. Do you see the weight of the burden of the law that was given to the people? And that's bad news because they couldn't handle it. They couldn't then, we still can't now. That's bad news. In fact, the consequences of missing the target is eternity separated from God. That, that's what the scriptures teach us. That's the bad news. And all of us have sinned. The good news that is being proclaimed is that the Messiah has come. That the Messiah has come and he is about to pay the price. This price is going to take him to the cross. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to give his life that we could have life. He's going to take my sin, those areas where I missed the mark, and he's going to put them on the cross, and he's going to give me his righteousness if I call on his name. And, and Jesus is preaching that. That is the message that Jesus is preaching in the home. That's what people have gathered to see. And, and it's an important piece for us to understand. Jesus is purposefully breaking the silence. God is speaking. And he's speaking the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus. Jesus is proclaiming we are sinners and need a Savior. And the Savior has come. The Son of God is here. Let's keep going. And they came bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. Uh, they didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have ways for him to get around except to be carried by others. He was completely dependent on others, and these others take him to Jesus. There is something else that is maybe missed from a cultural perspective, and that is it would have been a common thought to say, who sinned, this man or his family? Somebody's guilty. Otherwise, how would this man be paralytic? Something has gone wrong. This is a good place for me to share something. That at the fall, in the garden, when Adam and Eve chose to be like God instead of being with God, when they decided to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the image bearers of God were shattered. 
And I don't think that we totally understand the depth of what that means. Like that shattering is deep. And it, I, I'll say it this way, it is so deep. So much so that our default movement is not towards God, the one who loved us and created us in his image, but our default is to go in the way of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life from 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. That is our drive. I want to feed my flesh. I, I, I want uh, to feed my eyes this thing that I'm looking upon. I, I want to make sure I'm secure in my flesh. And that's the drive. We've sinned. Everyone has sinned. But in those days, who sinned? Was it this guy? Was it his family? The fact that he shows up should speak to us about something. We're going to find out what that is in a moment. Do you think Jesus might know? Is that a fair assumption? Jesus knows what this guy needs and even what this guy wants. Watch this. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I, I have a theory on this. I'm going to share this theory. This is me stepping away from being a preacher to theorizing, okay? Just so you know that. This is my theory. Those guys are probably like uh, teenage boys. Why do I think that? Have you ever had a group of teenage boys together? They come up with some doozies. Uh, uh, I could see them getting together and I'm like, we're not close enough. Yeah, I know we're not close enough. If only we could get in front of Jesus. I know. Let's go through the roof. Right? Like, that's what teenage boys would think of, I think. Okay, I'm stepping back in here now. Uh, these guys, they want their friend to know Jesus. They want him to be in the presence of God. And the way that they do it is a creative method of taking the top of this roof off, which in those days would have been easy, some of the, the roof designs, uh, taking that off and lowering the man down. Jesus doesn't get upset. What are you doing to my roof? That's a 50-year roof I just put on there. No, he doesn't do that. Uh, watch how Jesus responds. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. He's paralytic. Why didn't he just heal him? Why would he say, your sins are forgiven? This man is dragged in front of Jesus, let down as a public spectacle in front of Jesus so that some guy can say, your sins are forgiven? Yeah. That's right. That's exactly why. Because this guy perceives his need is a need to be forgiven of sin. And by the way, that is all of our needs. Uh, that's where it starts. And this guy is going before the Lord with some really good motives. I want to be right before God. And the only way that I'm right before God is if my sins are forgiven. I, I, I need Jesus to forgive me. Jesus knows that, recognizes that, and responds with his real need and what he really, not, not just wants, but needs. Now, look at the response, though. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. That's exactly the point. And Mark wants us to know that. Mark wants, he is communicating to us that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. He has come. 
And this God in the flesh is forgiving sins. And these scribes, they're right in, in uh, their, their statement, who forgives sins but God alone. And immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? I would have loved to have been in that room when that happened. How, how phenomenal is this statement? Like, what, what do you think is easier? What's easier? It's way easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, than it is to say, okay, paralytic person, person who has this sort of disease, whatever is going on, get up and walk. It is way easier to say your sins are forgiven. Jesus recognizes that. I'll bet that room was quiet. I'll bet even the guys looking down were like, what? Uh, let's see what happens. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. But did you notice the paralytic never even asked for it? This, this wasn't even necessarily about the paralytic. But those around who don't see Jesus as the Son of God, they, they don't get it yet. And this healing that Jesus performs makes an announcement that what he is saying, the gospel that he is proclaiming, is true. And as this paralytic comes into the presence of God, uh, he experiences Jesus in some profound ways, and healing is a byproduct of it. See, I think sometimes we forget about healing and seeking healing. Uh, I'll say it this way. It is appointed for all to die once and then the judgment. We're all going to die. Even Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead, he was in the tomb for days, rose from the dead. History says 30 years later, he died again, stayed dead. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because even healing on this side of eternity is temporary. Friends, it's not this healing that we're seeking. It's Jesus that we're seeking. This healing that comes in seeking Jesus communicates the truth of Jesus' message. I'll identify that in a few different ways. Let's just identify a couple of few truths from this passage. First of all, the healing requires entering Jesus' presence. This man is not okay being outside of Jesus' presence. Now, you can't see anything. We can't get there. Lower him down through the roof. I gotta be in Jesus' presence. This man needs to be there. And I wanna suggest that in a spiritual way, we need to be in Jesus' presence too. We recognize, he says, he never leaves us or forsake us, forsakes us, yet we also recognize that sin in our lives keeps us from Christ. Healing flows from forgiveness. What is forgiveness? I've, I'm missing the mark. I know that I'm missing the mark. I'm convinced this is wrong, and I am turning away from it, and I am seeking Jesus. This, this is the repentance where we receive forgiveness. 
healing is first of all spiritual, then it is physical. We, ha- we have this great way of separating that in the West. As if to say they're not interconnected, but, th- but they are interconnected. Uh, in fact, everything in our space is sacred as a believer. It's created by God. And for those who are human, they're created in the image of God. It's sacred. For the believer, we see our spaces as sacred spaces where God meets us and uniquely communicates to us through his nature and his creation. These, spirit, these are not physical things and spiritual things, but all things are connected in a spiritual way. Therefore, on this passage, we want to seek Jesus and repent of any sin. So what does this look like for the church today? Is there provision? Because obviously, Jesus is not here physically. Right now, we do not see Jesus with the holes in his hands and holes in his feet. We, We don't see Jesus. He is not here available in that way. But he is available. And Jesus has given us a way to seek him. A provision for healing. Let me say it a different way. A provision to connect with Jesus that involves healing. Watch this in James chapter 5. If you're not there, go ahead and turn there with me as we transition from this passage about a man who sought Jesus and got forgiveness to a church that seeks Jesus and forgiveness and make it healing. Let's walk through this together. So in James chapter 5, James has just warned about worldliness. He uh, has reminded people the dangers of wealth. And he has encouraged the believers in being patient through suffering. And then he's going to talk about ailments. How we respond in real time with situations that are affecting or maybe even infecting us, how do we respond? And this is what we get. Is anyone, um, let me back, I should say this also, because this is important. This, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, grew up in the same home as Jesus. This is his brother. Uh, James goes on to be a leader in the church, ends up becoming martyred uh, later on in church history thrown off the wing of the temple and, and beaten to death because he believed that his, his brother, his half-brother Jesus, is actually literally the son of God, the Messiah, who they've been anticipating. And it's this James who is telling the church and giving the church provision to meet Jesus for the sake of healing. This is what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let's stop there for a second. This word sick is a spectrum word. It means uh, many things and shades of things. Often when we say sick, we think of in our culture like, I got a headache, I'm running a temperature. And it can mean that. But this word also means weak. And the implication of weak is uh, varied. It could mean uh, 
you're weak emotionally, you're weak spiritually, you're weak mentally, you're weak physically in the space in your life or this time in your life, you're weak and you need to uh, lean into God's strength, recognizing that his grace is sufficient and that in your weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And so this word sick here is translated as sick is a spectrum word. It can mean a lot of things. It does not just mean, <coughs> I'm coughing, I don't feel good. Uh, it can also mean physically weak. It can also mean relationally weak. There's a break in a relationship. We're weak in this place. Uh, it can have that sort of implication. Again, a spectrum. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And this is kind of an interesting uh, piece, anointing with oil. Uh, I, I, I really like the principle of first mention in Scripture. It, it often speaks to the context of the Scripture uh, that it's written later on. So what, what uh, theologians will do is they'll take a phrase or a concept that is used purposefully, and they'll go back and find where it is first mentioned in the Scripture to see if it applies to the context of that passage. This is one of those. If you have your Bibles, this won't be up on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 29. As we look at the principle of first mention, when is the first time anointing with oil happens? Because in the ancient world, it actually happened a lot. They would anoint with oil for a variety of reasons and in a variety of things to, to uh, identify a new high priest or in anointing the priesthood. It was also done for a king. It was also done when someone might come into your house. You would anoint them with oil as someone special in your home. But how is it used the first time? Glad you asked. Here we go. It's in Exodus chapter 29. Verse 20 is where I'll pick it up. And this is in the consecration of the priesthood, starting with Aaron and those who had followed. The priesthood are the group of people who were mediators between God and the nation of Israel. They would perform a lot of duties. Some of those were sacrificial. Some of those uh, were cleansing. Some of those were legal. Some of those uh, actually would, would kind of bleed into the medical field of identifying if someone had leprosy or not uh, and the implication of that. So this is in the consecration of the priesthood, and this is what it says starting in Exodus 29, verse 20. And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. Well, that's kind of weird. Why? Why on the right ear of Aaron? Well, Aaron is the father of the priests. He's the beginning of that line, and the line that comes after him is Aaron. And you'll see that there are other from the line of Aaron who are also anointed in the same way, but starts with on the ear. You also have to think that this group uh, thinks functionally. It's a little bit different than the way that we think. So this blood is given for life. That's, that's why the sacrifices were given. That's why blood was needed in the Old Testament. It's why Jesus sacrificed his life. He spills his blood for our sake. Um, it's placed on the ear. 
It's to cover sin. Sin and not listening to God. Sin and listening to people instead of God and not rightly discerning God's plan. It's placed on his ear and the ear of the other priests. And on the tips of the right ears of his sons. And on the thumbs of their right hands. Why would they do that? Because their work needs to be covered. Sin needs to be covered. And they need to be dedicated to the service of God. And the right hand, blood on the right hand signified that. And on the great toes of the right foot, that, that means their big toe. And it was an identifier of walking with God. That, that we would walk in a way that was clean before God and focus on him. And throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his son's uh, garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy. The word holy is to be set apart. And his son's and his son's garments with him. This is important because... Uh, what we're seeing in Aaron in the Old Testament and the priests are that they are set apart for the work of God. They are then being restored into the very image that God had intended people to exist in, that we would have a relationship with God that served him and cared for him. Also, they are reaching out to others to bring them into a right relationship with God. That's the function of the priesthood in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see that we are a holy and royal priesthood. Ministers of reconciliation, we're called. We are set apart for God's work in a restorative sort of way. And that's what we see in this passage, that this healing is about a restoration. We're being restored Kind of like what happened in the garden, the way we were broken. This healing that is offered to the church is about being restored back to the image that God intended. A right relationship with him that bleeds into other things in our own lives because everything is sacred for those who have the spirit of God dwelling in them. Look at what it says, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick uh, that word save can confuse us a little bit. Most often when we talk about save, the word save, we're talking in terms of salvation. Uh, this is not that idea so much. This has more to do with restoration, restoring. It connects with that, uh, with that idea of we are being restored back into the image that we are called to, that God has called us to originally. And the prayer of faith will save, will restore the one who is sick, weak, and the Lord will raise him up. Uh, that's God's work. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. The, do, do you see this? Confess your sins to one another. That's a part of this healing process. Fact is, when we come forward for healing, we're even starting with that idea of Okay, God, I am coming forward for healing, but I, I, I need you to check my heart. Is there any unconfessed sin here? Is there any place where I'm missing the mark? If so, I need to confess that. That's the responsibility of the person who comes, but I'll tell you this also. 
it may be that you come before one of the elders sometime for prayer and you, you say, uh, you'll hear them say, is there any sin that you need to come before we anoint you with oil, before we pray for healing, for God to do his restorative work in your life, before we do that, is there any sin that you need to confess? It's not a judgment call. It is simply being obedient to the word of God. And in that place, they may say, as you're thinking of it, let me share this with you where I have had sin in my life and I have repented or am repenting of it. That may happen and in fact often does. Let's keep going. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This, this healing, let me just say it this way, it's not just for me. It's not just for you. As if to say, I, God, I want you to heal me, and now I'm just kind of holding that story to myself. I, this is just between me and God. That is not the point of this healing, just so you know. This is so that the body of Christ works as a body of Christ. That the body of Christ is functioning in a healthy and in a, in a way that reflects God's intention of humankind. That's God's plan in this. And if we think that this healing is just for us, I, I want to suggest that oftentimes, not every time, I'm not going to tell you that, that God works in this mathematical sort of way, but oftentimes when we just hide this as if it is only for us, God doesn't heal us. He doesn't deal with it. There's a deeper sin that's not being confessed, perhaps. So, when we come forward for healing, we're seeking Jesus and his presence. We want more of Jesus. And in that place of seeking Jesus, one of the ways to get closer, to get lowered down into his presence, if you want to use that imagery, is to confess our sins. Here's where I've missed the mark. Sorry, Lord. And in that place of, of being in Jesus' presence, he does some amazing things. Sometimes it is completely restorative. And sometimes it's going to be completely restored on the other side of eternity. But God is good, and he is faithful, and he is right, and he is just, and he has given provision for his church to know his son in a special and unique way, and in that place, healing is available. So, Let's identify a few things. Uh, being sick is greater than a cold, right? Uh, it's weakness. Calling on the elders is an act of faith. As I seek the Lord, one of the ways the Lord told me that I can find him is by going to the elders, confessing my sins, asking them to pray for me and my weakness and anointing me with oil. And Jesus, I'm trusting you with the outcome. It is a step of faith given as a provision to the church. The healing is God's work. It is, it is God's work completely. Like it may be that the prayer is a phenomenal prayer. God didn't heal because of how great someone prayed. It is God's work, and it's God's work alone. Confession is required when having the elders pray for healing. In other words, if today you come forward and ask for prayer because there will be uh, um, elders available. There, there, 
They will be up front with their wives in just a few moments with oil. And you may come up to them and ask for prayer. There's an expectation that we would lead with, and this is what I'm confessing. Even if it's, hey, I just confessed this before I walked up here. I just want you to know. That's a part of this. It's part of getting closer to Jesus. It's part of connecting with him. I started this message by saying that sometimes things don't work out the way that we want them to. And that there was a young man in his 30s who came forward and asked for prayer because he had stage four cancer. And I told you about our prayer and how weak our prayer was. And now I want to tell you that 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 man came back every week. He came back and each week you could see the effects of this cancer just weighing on him. About a month later, he showed up and you could see a burden on his face. I knew he had gone to the doctor and you could see it as he walked in. Heavy and burdened and I'm thinking the whole time. What are we going to do with his family? How's this going to work? And he comes up front at the end of the service, and the elders see him, of course, so they come forward. And he goes, guys, I went to the doctor. And God healed me. He did it like that. And God healed me. I thought for sure we were getting bad news. We got good news. God healed me. The doctors have confirmed it. They looked at my reports and they can't see what had happened. And I told them that God healed me. I went forward for prayer and it wasn't because of my pastor's or the elder's prayer, but God touched me in a way that was remarkable and he healed me. And I want to tell you that that's God's business. And he does just those type of things. We started early with the sermon in the service so that in the next few moments, as the worship team comes out, they'll be able to, uh, we'll be able to worship uh, through the course of three songs. During those three songs, you may say, I have a weakness that I need to address, and I'm going to confess because I want to get closer to the Lord in this, and I want to trust him to see how he may just heal me in this place. You can do that, and there are places where there'll be elders available to you for that. You may say, hey, I've already done that. God, God has met me. I'm in a good place. That's great. There is also opportunity for all of us to participate in communion in the back. We would ask you in, in like manner to kind of go to the, the outside and around to uh, those stations to get both the cup and the bread. Unlike normal, we are asking you today to go ahead and take both the bread and the cup at your convenience. You don't have to wait for us to say anything from up front. We're, we won't be doing it that way today. So once you get the bread and the cup, you can take the bread and the cup right where you are. Remembering that communion is for the believer, those who have called on the name of the Lord. It's also asked of the church to examine their hearts before they participate in communion. There is one additional thing you'll see. And that is the, a place for an offering at the table. The offering won't be passed today. It will be at the communion table. So if you came today prepared to give, you can give at those communion tables. Or at the end, there, there will be opportunity for you. As you leave, you can place your offering there. But today as we focus, we want to see God at work. We, we want to trust God in this place together. 
So you'll notice in just a moment as the elders will be coming up to their stations up front, please seek God. Seek Jesus. And in those areas of weakness, let's trust and see what God might do. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We thank you and praise you. And ask, oh Lord, that you would be glorified today. And Lord, even I would pray for this sermon, for this music, for the elders, for those serving communion, that in a way, for those who are greeted, that in a way, Lord, it would be as if we took the, uh, the portion of the roof off and lowered our friends down closer to you today. I ask, O oh Lord, that I too would be lowered closer to you today. That even as you called out to the paralytic and said, your sins are forgiven, Lord, that we too would be forgiven of our sins. Anointed with oil, restored back to your image, and healed for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.